Welcome to the Daily News, everybody. Marshall Ferguson at TSN underscore Marsh. Mike Daly on the other side of the Zoom chat. Or if you're listening only as an audio experience, at Daily News 8 is where you can find him on social media, if you so choose. Uh, a high roller these days with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Is it the game day show? Is that you and Court Steven throwing down yeah, on yeah. game day mornings? That's awesome. Me and Courtney Steven, yeah, they reached out to us, and Courtney's good at what he does. So we just kind of get in there, break it down, talk about the game uh, about three hours before it. So right back into it, man, just like that. Like That's I'm game cool. prepping all over again. That's very cool. And do you experience it in broadcasting the way that I have, which is game day feels like game day? Like all of a sudden it's like you wake up and it gives you some sort of purpose. I know that I'm significantly further removed from this than you are, but has it given game day a different meaning to you? Um, I, I mean, I don't really, I don't really know the difference because it's just for me playing all of a sudden to this. So right. from playing to this, I mean, God, it's nothing. Like, yeah. I mean, I, re I remember our weeks used to go, we'd have walked through the day before the game. Right. And used to like be having fun during walkthrough messing around but as soon as the walkthrough was done you had from what would be like one o'clock on till about the next day where you'd have to be at the stadium probably like four four thirty for like a seven thirty eight o'clock game and between when walkthrough was done and i don't know about everybody but this is just me because i was you know mentally unstable and such a perfectionist with all of it i would <laughs> I would just be like, like low key anxiety the whole time. And just not anxiety in the sense of like stressed out or nervous, yeah. more so like, I got to do well. I got to make sure I'm prepared. It's like, you know, when you're not prepared for something and you kind of freak out about it, but Preach. it was such a long period of like, holy shit. Okay. Come on. Let's do well. Let's do well. Come on. Let's do it. Okay. Watch a little bit more film. Okay. Wake up. How much do I want to eat? Uh, it's like, that's such a long period. So then now, calling you know the game day in the morning i mean i wake up i just know what i'm going to talk about courtney and i just shoot that i mean it's not even close <laughs> yeah even that's close. funny that's funny so you're not stressed about it at all then because like and i understand obviously half an hour you know three hours before the game is different than doing a three-hour broadcast on national television but i i had a funny moment this week uh it was my first time ever working with glenn Suter in the winnipeg ottawa game in week two and i got an email from suits that said, hey, partner, looks like we got ourselves a 7.30 kickoff. What do you say we head out from the hotel at about 5 p.m.? I'll meet you down in the lobby. It was 1.30, and I messaged him back and said, I'm here. <laughs> um, and it's because he's worked so many games that he's like, he does his prep at the hotel. He's comfortable with it. And for me, and you know this, like anytime that you and I were around the field together, we would always be out there three, four hours early, rolling, stretching, getting ready. There's always been something for me that's really relieved stress of just being in the venue, like just being around where I'm going to have to do the thing later on. I don't know what that is or what that mental block is, but it, it remains in broadcasting. So uh, yeah, I like to go to even Marlene made fun of me this week because I, I told her this story and she said, you're such a friggin' creature of habit. It's disgusting. And I was like, yeah, but if it works for me, it works. Like I, I get there, I sit in the same seat when I call games in Ottawa for three hours before anybody shows up. Then Tim Baines is the first guy from the media row that walks in. I chat with him about people that he's talked to and stories he's written for the last week or two since I've been there. And it's just like so systematic. And it's like get in the booth. And that comfort allows me to hopefully 
do a decent job in, in painting the pictures for people and, and having some fun with people on the broadcast as well. So I, I, I will. wonder, I wonder if as you go on, if that'll change at all, because personally, I, I, I remember I used to get to games early, but near the end of my career, I just, I want to be away from the stadium for as long as I possibly could. And then oh, really? just, what I hated, what I hated was going there, sitting around and like pretending to try to do something. I can still get everything done within like an hour and a half, two hours, but there's also other people like uh, a guy like Dylan Wynn. I think he might be there. Like he might stay there the night before. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny you say that early. because I called a game. Uh, I think it was Hamilton, Ottawa last year. And as I rolled into the parking lot on the side opposite of the locker rooms, I don't know, whatever that is like next to the tie cat store, um, Dylan Wynn got out of his car at the same time I did. And I remember seeing him coming in and being like, damn, he's an early guy. Like, I didn't necessarily have him as an early guy, but he was like, I think I was like four and a half, five hours early that day, if I, my memory serves me correctly. And he was there at the same time. I'm like, all right, man. But that's kind of like, I remember um, when I was doing Ty Cats radio, John Chick was like rolling out in Hotel Sask for a road game against the Riders when I was working out. Like I hadn't even left the hotel yet, and he was already starting his warm-up process. And this is probably six hours before kickoff. It's like a 7 p.m. kick. It's like one one noon, 12:30, one o'clock in the afternoon, and he's already starting to warm up. Uh, yeah, I couldn't. I remember Mercer Timmis. Mercer Timmis, if you remember him, he yep. he would go and work out in the morning. It's funny. It's funny how people get into these routines, right? Yeah. Like, there's some people that do. You know, I'll go do like a yoga class before if it's a home game. There's other people that'll just sleep all day and try to get in. There's some people that have huge meals. There's some people. It's funny how like I don't know where you end up picking these things up, and it's one of those things I think where it's like, you know, like uh, like hockey players if they have a good game, they'll yeah. they'll always wear that same jock strap or whatever, right? And that's a terrible reference. <laughs> same, Classic though. Same kind of thing though. Like it's like okay. I, uh, you know, no mistakes, had a pick last game and I had waffles before the game at 10 o'clock. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to have waffles at 10 o'clock and I'm going to do the exact same thing I did. And then boom, go out. You don't have a good game. You're like, ah, screw waffles, man. I'm not having waffles anymore. Those suck. <laughs> and and le lest you think that it's just the athletes and that I'm like the one weirdo in the broadcasting booth, Claire Hannah, who's down on the sidelines for us when she got there, she's. She said, I'm actually going to stick around here up in the booth, I think, until they serve dinner at five o'clock. Are you going to eat? And I said, I can't. Like, I super, super <laughs> early meal on game day. And then I have a, a large coffee as I kind of sip it for like three, four hours before kickoff. And we got into this super deep discussion on her diet before she would play a match because she was very, very high up in, in Canada volleyball. And even when she was at UBC playing university volleyball, she said like, you know, we would always have these night tips. So I would always have a small breakfast and a big lunch and this and that. And we we basically spent like 15 minutes in the booth this past Friday, just trading weird intricacies of our minds and how we try to allow ourselves to feel comfortable doing our jobs. She's like, I can't have coffee. It gives me the jitters. And like, I find as I get closer to kickoff that I like get increasingly nervous until I do my first hit. And then I know I'm okay. So like, I might have a coffee at halftime, but I can't do one before the game. Like, oh my God. I need someone to reach out to me with like scientifically what is the best thing to do because what? there's gotta be, I'm surprised I'm never at for the amount of time I've played for the amount of time people have talked about working out, like certain ways to work out, certain ways to warm up, certain yeah. ways to treat your body. 
and nobody's come out with like, hey, this is probably the best thing you should do before a game. Like, I just need someone to tell me, like, when do I eat? When do I sleep till? When do I start running around that? And I know it's different for everybody, but there's got to be a scientific. You're so right about that. There has to be a definitive answer. And in all honesty, and you know this, if we sent an email to Steve Lidstone right now, he'd probably just have the answer. Like, it's that guy's job to work. He worked with us at McMaster and he also was a uh, a very high. I don't know if he's still doing it, but with the women's national hockey program. So it's like, I'm pretty sure the women's national hockey program isn't like, hey guys, you're some of the best at your sport on the planet. Uh, do whatever makes you happy. They probably yeah, have a plan. That would carry over to the state. That's what frustrates me. I mean, we have, with the Ticats, we have Matt Nickel, and he's involved yeah. in, you know, the biosteel stuff and, and tons of different stuff. But, yeah, just no no scientific backing on, on specific things like that. They just hire good people. But, I mean, somebody's got to tell us. There's got to be a better way. Well, I Lauren Goldenberg is a, uh, a diehard listener of CFP, and he's a very high up, very uh, talented and qualified trainer. So he might reach out and let us right. know uh, what, yeah, what we think on this. So, Lauren, if you have some answers, let us know. Um, all right, let's dive into the weekend uh, that was no guest here on the Daily News this week. Oh, I should also mention uh, that this is made possible by our friends over at Fox 40, of course. You can outfit your coaching staff with custom logoed Fox 40 whistles, gears, coaching boards, and more. Visit fox40shop.com. Use the code CFP15 at checkout. Get 15 off of your entire order. And I don't know whether or not it works on the nautical uh, safety items that they have as well, but they also have a line of things that if you're like out kayaking, canoeing, paddleboarding, uh, they have a bunch of stuff that you can use there. Punch in the CFP15 code, uh, somebody, and let me know if that works on the nautical safety stuff. Because if it does, I actually want to use it. Uh, Because I'm going paddleboarding this weekend. Not sure where, but I'm just going to put my board on the car and drive towards Prince Edward County and see what body of water takes me. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then that will be the last year of my. <laughs> <laughs> and half of the audience is like, yes, Daily News, new co host. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, let's dive into the weekend that was. I, I want to just begin with the Montreal mess and the quarterbacking decision because. I didn't watch the first bit of that because I was fishing with Sinopoli. Uh, and then, which by the way, I planned on delivering a podcast to CFP, but then we were just having too much fun talking about life and it didn't seem appropriate for a podcast. So I was like, oh, I'll get you next time. We'll just talk on there next time. That's um, always the toughest. That's always the toughest thing. And do you actually, it's funny because I'm just getting into this world, right? Yeah. And you've been here for a little bit. Do you find that because of like who you are and you're in the media and stuff like that, when you have conversations with people, are they really guarded on telling you some stuff? If people know your motivations and your character, that's how you build trust over time. That's, that's what I've always had. I mean, hell, when I was covering you, you and I were friends, but I had to respect the fact that I, I don't want to go to you and put you in a bad situation and be like, hey, what were you guys talking about in the meeting room on this play or that? Because you're going to be like, oh, man, I don't, I don't want to have to talk about that with you because I don't want to piss you off by not telling you as a friend, but I also don't want to tell you because that's something that should be in the room and I don't want that going out in the media. But, but if I would come to you, like I did this with Speedy all the time when he was in Hamilton, I'd be like, hey, man, you know I have no interest in reporting. I'm not a reporter. I'm not an insider. I'm just trying to understand. And it it was, but that wasn't like day one. That was like year three, four, five, where I would go to him and say, I'm just trying to understand what's happening here. And he'd be like, okay, man, here's the truth. And he'd just like, give it to me straight. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. But that's a developed relationship. So yeah, it's a tricky game. You have to balance putting people in uncomfortable situations. Uh, I mean, hell, even information I've had on U sports coaching decisions, 
that has been passed on to me, I probably wouldn't get in trouble. I probably wouldn't burn any bridges if I were to report that. I just don't care about reporting. I just like, it's going to come out when it's going to come out, however people want to come out. I don't need to be the guy that's breaking news on that stuff. And I think, uh, you don't want to get into that game anyway. No, and like, you're just playing the the race, the clock, and on your phone. It's constantly. a miserable. It's honestly a miserable game. I have no interest in it. And for me, it's like, and again, this is like too much inside baseball. But like, I look at what Justin oh, what Dunk you talk did. about football. Yeah, I know. Uh, but this is like, <laughs> ju- I see what Justin Dunk does, and I'm like, you couldn't pay me enough money to be in that lane, to be like information guy and be because you're constantly trying to balance reporting information that you get or saving information that you get so that you build trust with somebody so you can cash in down the road with somebody else on i'm like nope not for me so i made a decision i always wondered do they cash in like every single time something no. pops up Stephen right? a smith has said that he reports 20 percent of what he is told yeah like what you get on first take is 20 when he says kevin durant blah 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 blah, blah i've heard this from somebody close to this that's 20 percent of the truth and the reason he can't yeah. tell the other 80 is because if he tells the other 80 he ain't getting that 20% ever again. And so for me, I made a determination very early on. I love football. I love football analysis. I love watching football. I love talking to people in football. None of that requires me to put anybody in uncomfortable situations or to burn bridges. I'm okay with that. I don't care. Somebody else can go ahead and do all the reporting in the world that they want. I just like being around football. That was my deal. But yeah, it's, it's a difficult balance for sure. Yeah. But yeah, let's, let's dive into that Montreal game. Yeah. Because I did. I did end up watching um, probably the majority of it. And I mean, can I just say this off the top? Like, cause, cause I dove into this pretty good on the breakdown with DT, but I want to say since then, if people listened to that show, like we really dug into the fact that like, it's, it's a mess for a variety of reasons. And I thought it was a really strong podcast that we did. If you want to listen to it, go back and listen to last week's breakdown. But since then, I went back and I rewatched the game like I always do and tracked all of the throws and I'm kind of analyzing like the run pass splits and the the coaching decisions. And that was premeditated. Like I cannot be convinced otherwise. And I'm not saying that they said quarterback change. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there was no, no zero reason to pull Vernon Adams Jr. In that spot. If you've watched VA, his entire bleeping career, you know that that dude at times will start two for four for 14 yards and take a sack that maybe you should have got rid of the ball. Maybe he missed one read. But the thing about him is like, he'll miss one, two, three reads, but he always rewards you with one, two, three great plays that nobody else can make. It's yeah, like, we had that... talked about that, right? Like, even though you're going to take a sack, not all sacks are equal. Yes. Right. Once he taken a sack, um, you know, is it, is it because he's trying to extend a play on second and long? Like what it, it's, but then the one or two times he'll break a run and he'll change the game. He'll flip the field. And you're right. First of all, we can't swear on here. Cause you said, bleeping. <laughs> I'm, I'm in TV mode. I'm just being careful with myself. You can swear all you want. Buddy. <laughs> I was like, Oh, oh news to me. But I was yeah, very anyway. close to dropping an actual F bomb because it frustrates me when I see, I see front office people, whether it be owner or general manager, putting pressure on a coaching staff that is unfair to them forcing decisions that are unfair to a quarterback who is trying to get his opportunity. And it's like two for four for 14 yards. He didn't throw a terrible intercept. Like if he would have thrown something that was just atrocious, for example, McLeod Bethel Thompson in the same game, throwing a corner route into a high corner. Like if if he would have thrown that, I would have been, because literally 
I was, as I'm rewatching that game, I hadn't seen that interception. And I see McLeod throw that pick and I just, I, I rolled it back four times. I was like, high school kids run this play. High school kids make this read and he messes up that read. I'm like, if VA would have done that, then yeah, pull his ass. But he didn't do that. That's why I get frustrated. But that's my problem. My problem here is that it's like, as soon as you get into a situation where there's a Trevor Harris right there, right? Right behind VA, whoever it might be. It's the first sign of like, oh, not perfect, right? And that's the, that's the worst part. That's the worst game to play as management or as coaches because all you're doing is you're crushing confidence of two guys, right? You're crushing confidence of VA because you're going to pull them. And then now down the road, are you going to pull Trevor at some point? Or are you going to start VA again? What's going to, And now these two are sitting there because I experienced it, right, with Dane and Soli. In the locker room, it's going to be fine. They're going to be like, hey, we got two guys that can really play, right? The offense is going to be saying, but that offense, I said this before, even with VA on here, that offense is set up for him. Yeah. yeah. That offense is not a Trevor Harris offense. Well, and this is interesting to me as well, because something else I picked up on doing the game tracking this week, Mike, is, and we were hoping, I don't know whether or not we'll get to it, but we were hoping to do a little bit on kind of like formation stuff and nerding out, but this is a good example. For whatever reason, when Trevor Harris started that Eastern semifinal last year in Hamilton in the snow, there was a ton of two back. Like it was William Stanback and Christoph Normal, the, the happiest person on the Montreal Alouettes, not named Trevor Harris, when Trevor Harris plays, is Christoph Normand. Because all of a sudden, he's getting in for 30 snaps a game. Like, just to stand there yeah. and be an extra protect- that one-third bonus. That's what <laughs> yeah, He's taking home a nice fat check. Right, but it's like, and what is he doing? He ain't releasing to the flats. He ain't running a route. He's basically condensing the box for teams that want to match when you play with two back. And then it's creating fewer numbers for Trevor Harris to have to read off of. And he's just trying to make throws in a game of two-on-two each side or three-on-one, whatever it might be. Um, and the reason I bring this up is that, again, as soon in this game this past week, as VA goes out, Trevor comes in, there's this influx of two back. All of a sudden, it's running back and fullback in the game. And when it's not, it's a bunch of four by one. And it's not that they don't run quads when VA is in, but I'm looking at the breakdown that I have of tracking when it was run last year with Trevor in versus VA. And then this year, and there's a statistical trend where it's like it's quads and it's two back. And so it's like, yeah, it is set up for VA, but they have this weird, like in Montreal right now, pull the parachute. Hey, Trevor's in, let's go to the Trevor offense. And the Trevor offense appears to be based on, again, the Eastern semifinal last year and the game that we just saw this past Thursday. It appears to be two back, simplify the route concepts and throw it as high as you can to Geno Lewis. See, and that's not his game. No. That's not what Trevor Harris is good at. What Trevor Harris, when Trevor Harris was doing well and winning great cups with Ottawa and, and really picking defenses apart, it's more so the, you know, and, and it might nerd you out a little bit, but it's the Tom Brady thing. Hmm. It's, hey, let's spread this out. Let's spread this out. Let me read the defense first. And I'm just going to throw checkdowns. I'm going to throw five to seven yard routes. And I'm just going to pick these guys apart. Read it, read it quick, get the ball out, read it quick, get the ball out. As soon as you introduce a two back, there is so much more the defense can do because the problem is, is now you're trying to figure out, okay, are they going to stay on that fullback or now are they going to have numbers on us and coverage out of nowhere, right? Like, are they going to stack the box? If they don't stack the box then you run the ball, but once you, 
in the CFL, if you get into second along and that's six plus, right? Second and six plus, everybody knows you're not running the ball, right? That one off, you might run the ball, but now, now you're playing three on two and that's, you know, two receivers on, on three defenders. And it's, it is hard unless you've got a cannon of an arm and you have receivers that are running great routes, but the Montreal receivers are just big bodies. So yeah, you can chuck it up once and twice, but that's going to get you in trouble. And I just, I cannot believe that it's still doing that. Like they're still doing that with Trevor in there. Yeah. And, and here is, I guess, my closing argument on, and I don't want, you know, if this gets back to Trevor, I don't want him to think I don't like watching him. I don't like his game or I don't want to see him on the field. I wish they could both play. Like that's the reality is I think they're both good for the game. They're both entertaining. But my frustration, and I think this was born out of doing morning radio with Kyle Mello, is that Mello has always been overly emotional, fire everybody every single time something goes wrong. Like immediate gratification, that guy needs to be gone, bench that quarterback, like just change for the sake of change. So I've always been kind of the steadying force when we were doing five years worth of morning radio where it's like, whoa, man, like give them time to figure it out. And this is one of the quickest hooks that I've seen on a quarterback. And it's just change for change sake. There's yeah, it's, it, it it's did not, not fair. It did not make them any better in this game. Like he finished, I'm just looking at the stat line here, 18 of 30, completing 60% of his passes with an interception. And that interception ends up costing them three points at the end of the first half because it gets returned down. BD kicks the field goal. And then they don't get the two-point conversion when Wynicki is wide open. So it's a five-point swing. We're all killing David Cote for shanking that field goal as we should because it was terrible. But like <laughs> Trevor Harris made two major mistakes in this game that gave up points and they end up losing the game. That's that close. And nobody's talking about that because all we're talking about is, well, VA was kind of bad in those first four throws. You gave 30 yeah. throws after that to Trevor. Like if you and gave 30, I, 30 more throws to VA, what would have happened? And it's not fair to either of them because Trevor, sure. uh, yeah. unless they're splitting first team reps in practice, which it doesn't seem like they are. I don't know. I need some inside information there, but Unless they're splitting first team reps, now you're just asking Trevor to come in on a game plan that was made for VA and say, okay, Trevor, go. Mm. And, I mean, we talked about that. That's that's a hard thing to do. I mean, go back and look at the Dane episode. It's not easy to do. I mean, Dane prepared. He was saying that he prepares like every professional should. But when you're not getting the throws, you're not getting the experience. It's just – it's impossible to do. It's not impossible, but it's very hard. And now all you're doing is you're making, you know, VA who – you're starting quarterback and you're, you know, two games into the regular season and you're saying, no, get him over there. It's just, it's bad news, man. Because listen, I had a, I had a coach say to me one time, he goes, listen, paid this guy too much to be here. Right. And that's going to determine if you're playing or not. And that's maybe what's happening there is it's okay. You know, somebody's excited about Trevor and somebody else is excited about VA and whoever has the, I don't want to say checkbook, but whoever has the final decision, right. Can, can hammer down the gavel. That's a judge thing. Gavel. Yeah. 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 That's the one that's saying that's what, this is what's going to happen or this is where we're going. And maybe it's not that maybe I'm wrong. Right. But that's a thing that happens a lot. I'm just thinking about the episode of The Office. Sorry, my mind is a child. Um, the <laughs> episode of The Office where they have to do an auction because their entire office uh, got robbed, I think it was. 
and as they're doing the auction, they you know do the live auction, blah blah blah, blah, blah sold. And Michael Scott hits the gavel, and it's a squeaky toy, and he goes, "It squeaks when you bang it." That's what she said. Okay, throws away the gavel and <laughs> moves on. But anyways, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a not a great situation there, certainly for them. And again, Toronto. This was kind of a funny one because remember last year was it um, was it Domagala last year in the Labor Day rematch that I think it was uh, not Pipkin Wofford drove all the way down the field gets Hamilton in a good situation Domagala misses the field goal at the end that would have forced overtime I believe and then I'm calling the BC Toronto game at BMO Field and that was the Jimmy Camacho the Macho Man game where he missed three goal three field goals in five minutes at BMO. Toronto finds a way to pull that one out in overtime. It essentially kills BC's playoff chances. Now you get Montreal going all the way down the field late in the fourth. 21-yard field goal, 90-some-odd percent chance of making it based on Derek Taylor's research over the last 15, 20 years. He misses it. Is there a weird effing force field around the BMO field uprights late in the fourth? Like, what is happening? Dinwiddie's doing some weird voodoo magic no it's pinball it's just pinball putting pixie dust all over the uprights (laughs) and not allowing it to happen but um do you have anything on winnipeg ottawa that you were uh you were interested in uh well the weather was terrible again yeah (laughs) isn't it crazy that every time like it seems like ottawa has like three of those games a year where it's just absolutely pouring rain and it's like impossible to play them but listen i mean you covered the game and from what I was seeing, Mazzoli's helping that offense out a ton. Yeah. He is, for sure. Um, but it's just the thing with Winnipeg and the reason why they're champions and back-to-back and all that kind of stuff is they just find ways, mm-hmm. right? We talk about that all the time. And that's, you know, as cliche and as, as high level as you can get. But they do. They just find ways. In a shitty game where there's tons of rain, right? Mazzoli's making some throws, actually making some throws. Ellingson looked really good, right? Um, but Winnipeg just finds ways, and it's it's you know it's frustrating when you're playing against them, but that's just how it goes. So I mean, it's good to see with Ottawa kind of being competitive with them and and stuff like that. But to go down two against them and, and two close ones, right? Is, it's got to kill him. But what'd you, what'd you see as you were calling my game? Yeah. In terms of the weather thing, uh, I have done play by play in Ottawa five times. Four of them have been that. Uh, <laughs> and, and it was so funny because in the start of the fourth quarter, there was a moment as we were going to break where the wind just turned directions and like a typhoon went straight into the booth because we're open air. So it's like pages started flying and like our screens got soaked and all this stuff. And as we're going to break, if you listen closely, you can just hear suits in the background go, whoa. <laughs> and it just sounds like he got blown away in the wind. <laughs> it's like, And then we went to break and we kind of cleaned up everything. And it was all, I felt bad for Claire being down at field level because it was like, there was one point in the night where she took the jacket off and was looking comfortable and it's summer weather. And, and then it just wasn't very long. But um, my quick takeaway from this one is uh, twofold. One is, yeah, Ottawa is significantly better. That's not... That's not just a Masoli thing. That's that's a, a sum of the parts that Berkey's been able to compile over there. They are like from veteran guys they've brought in to Frankie Griffin, their new Will linebacker, who I think is a total stud, to Trey Hornbuckle, who I never knew before this year. To it's just there's guys that are making a name for themselves over there and doing it the right way. But my main thing is, and I kind of like slipped this in quickly in the broadcast, but it was something I kind of wanted to to drill home a little bit more. We didn't have a chance. Was it was the idea that. 
Winnipeg, when you say they find a way, the thing that I, I, I appreciate and respect so much about them is that they are comfortable when things get uncomfortable. Like mm-hmm. when things are backwards and things aren't going well and you're, or you're taking penalties that are unlike yourself or you're throwing interceptions or you're every single team is going to face adversity at some point in the game. It's why football is a great microcosm of life because you're going to face adversity in life. The question is, how do you respond to it? Like that's the old mm-hmm. saying, right? Is how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? And if you're scared of it and you don't want to deal with the adversity in life or in football, you're going to crumble. Winnipeg doesn't crumble because they are mentally tough because when things get difficult, they don't run from it and they don't pretend that things are fine. They run right at it and say, okay, we got ourselves into a mess. How are we going to win? How are we going to figure yeah. out a way? They're just, they're so comfortable when things get difficult and there's a lot of teams that don't, don't have that kind of spirit. Well, and I think that's all starting in practice, right? Like I yeah. think, you know, throwing people off, you know, calling a, a no huddle period in practice when no one's expecting it, right? True. Okay. Got to go and go perform. Right. And then just switching things up and making it competitive and then going back to regular schedule programming. I think really when you see those type of teams crumble, it's one of those things where you're just not seeing that in practice. Right. And I think with O'Shea and, and you can kind of tell with, with coach O as well, mm-hmm. um, cause they're from the same tree, right. They all, they played in Toronto together, all that kind of stuff, the Lancaster type type guys. And I mean, that's just, that's just how they're built. And then that's how you kind of see, you know, these teams be able to bounce back. Now I, <laughs> I say that, but then Hamilton just goes ahead. <laughs> okay, so so <laughs> Hamilton, yeah. Hamilton, Saskatchewan, or sorry, not Hamilton, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, Saskatchewan. With all due respect to the people out there, and I know that it got the biggest television ratings of the week. That game was not entertaining. I don't care what anybody has. Like it was whatever. <laughs> like compared to the other three games of the week, I just did not find that game to be entertaining. The storylines <laughs> in it, it was like, hey, Arbuckle's trying really hard, and Cody's team is just better, and they're running the ball. Okay, cool. Congrats on the win. We'll talk about both those teams another week. We only got a couple of minutes here left. We have obviously to talk about what in the hell happened because yes, as you say, Hamilton, and this is a classic example for me. I learned very early on in this business. I don't cheer for teams. I don't cheer for cities. I cheer for people. And this is a great example because I could not care less who won this game other than, man, Dane just had his firstborn and Coach O was going in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, I, I was, I was just pulling for those two dudes to not have to deal with this. And I wasn't at the game. I didn't watch the game live. I woke up and I looked at the box score and I went shit. Yeah. And then I watched it back and it was as bad as I thought that it was. Yeah. And like, I'll, I'll be open and honest. I'm biased because I got a lot of friends on that team. So yeah, if somebody's absolutely. Gonna win, if somebody's going to win a great cup, that's who I want to win a great cup. And, but that being said, that's one of the ones – those are one of the losses that are that are way tougher. And I'm saying they're way tougher, not because you lost by – you know, you lost an OT by three points, whatever it might be. It's because you were dominating a team, dominating them for the first half. And then you came out and for the entire second half could not pull it together. So not just had like a spurt or two or maybe like at most a quarter where you just can't stop them, can't figure it out, can't get something going. That's a whole half. So now you're looking at yourself going, oh, my God, what happened? Did we get – coaches are going to say, okay, did we get out game planned? 
did they change something in the second half? Are they going to look at the players and say, okay, were you guys not playing hard in anymore? Did we think we had it in the bag? What, when you get a loss like that, where a team just comes back and it's just pure dominance all the way till the fourth quarter, there are so many questions as opposed to a close game back and forth, back and forth, you're battling, you're battling. Dang, we lost. You know what I mean? Good battle guys. Way to fight it. You know, we'll get, that's a, that's a shit kicking for, for a whole half. So now you go back and you're in film and yeah, you only lost by three points, but there's, there's different ways to lose by three points. And that's gotta be the worst way because it's just, like I said, they're going to go into film. They're going to look at it and they're going to say, Hey guys, listen, we'll try to build off the first half, but my God, we got a lot of work to do. Was there anything, any trend, any reason for you that things dramatically changed? Because you understand the X's nose of this significantly better than I do, but I just, I couldn't see anything that was like, Oh, they're playing this completely differently. Or, I mean, (laughs) Calgary, loses their two running backs and they have Charlie power, their fullback playing running back for them. And Bo basically is like, okay, I'm just done running the ball. And Dickinson's like, we're just going to throw it 90% of the time down the stretch. Like I'll get the actual number here in the, of, of after Logan went down, what that number was. But like, to me, that was the only thing where it was like, maybe it freed Bo up where he was like, Oh, this is all on me. Like I have to do all of this. And that's because of the, the roster that we have available and healthy right now. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, you can't look at it just as bow versus the defense, but kind of as a a total thing. But, yeah, when you start looking at the big plays that happen, right, it's just really not executing on defense. Like, the the big plays that bow was getting, they were just chunk plays that should be covered, that should be a good play on the ball, and just not executing. And that happens. That's going to happen. But – it's just that happening over and over and over again, right? It's going to happen in a game, but to happen that many times and in that amount or that short a period, a a half for you just to not execute, not to execute. And even in, even in OT, right? Like you go all the way back, like with, with Sean Thomas Erlington dropping that pass, like look at what he was doing. Look at what he was doing that entire game. And then boom, that moment drops that pass pick. It's just, it's one of those things where it just kept stacking and stacking and stacking. But it's like you said, you watch that game and you're like, I don't really see one specific thing. It's just Calgary started executing and Hamilton couldn't. And after a while, I mean, there's so much time, especially the last three minutes, like everyone says. And and it's, yeah, it was not good. Not good. Uh, It's frustrating. Before before the final running play, when Tommy Stevens was in and gave a little end around to uh, to Henry, they called passes on fourteen of the final fifteen plays in that ball game. The only one that was a run was Charlie Power. It went for three yards, but Luther Hakanavanu had four catches on those fourteen called passing plays. Uh, Kamar Jordan had three. Reggie Bagleton got involved. Like that was their that was their offense. That was the offense I actually thought we were going to get from Calgary significantly to start the year, but. Man, if you're a Stamps fan right now, you're like, <laughs> you probably should have lost to Montreal and you definitely should have lost to Hamilton, but who cares? Because you're 2-0. <laughs> and now like, you're just going to say, hey, maybe maybe Bo, Bo is back and let's start throwing it every single play. Like Kadeem was doing well, right? Right. But, I mean, look at what we did. Let's start throwing it. Even when Hamilton knew we were throwing it. Yeah. Let's keep throwing it. Yeah. And maybe it was a size mismatch stuff, right? Like there's a lot of tall guys on Calgary. It's it's 
difficult to deal with. They're going to win some 50, 50 balls, but I mean, yeah, it just comes down to executing and that's going to happen in football, but my gosh, when it doesn't happen that many times in a row. Yeah. I was going to say when it rains, it pours, but this game wasn't in Ottawa. Uh, it was in Hamilton and it was a beautiful night, a little breezy, but other than that, it was uh, a difficult night for them. No doubt. Uh, thanks everybody. As always for listening to the daily news here. Uh, don't forget our good friends over at Fox 40, go to Fox 40 shop.com. Use that promo code CFP 15 at checkout at daily news, eight at TSN underscore Marsh. We will talk to you next week right here, Mike, on the Daily News. The Daily News. Yeah.